He is worthy. Thank you, Trenton and Audra and Ashley for, for taking a, a lead this morning. And Chad, thanks for being here. Chad's been struggling, fighting the spring crud, and, and so we're glad you're here. He's a very deep, deep baritone this morning, so uh, bass. <laughs> so uh, thank you, Trenton and Audra, for kind of filling in at the last minute and preparing and leading us today. You know, what a beautiful, wonderful song that we just heard. He is worthy. And that's why we gather here together today and, and each Sunday. Worship is a, a touch point. It, it's a touch point for our life. It's a, a touch point for our, our spiritual relationships, primarily and certainly with God first, but also with others. As we gather to share our lives, as we gather to share our stories, as we gather in one voice and in unity to worship the one who is worthy. So it's great to see you. I know spring break week is a, is a crazy week. It's a week where, where some get out of town for a few days and, and some hang around town, but town changes during spring break. And so things are a little bit different for all of us. And so it's good to be back. Uh, and again, as a touch point to life, I'm reminded that life happens. This week, we added two new twins to our family. My niece had, uh, had twins on Friday, so that makes me a great uncle. I was already a great uncle, but now I'm officially a great uncle, right? Um, so on the other hand of life, the, the Copeland family this week prepares for Vivian Anderson's Celebration of Life service. It'll be on, on Saturday. So we gather as a touch point to share the births and the deaths of life, to celebrate. I talked to a couple of our seniors before class. I found out that it's 60 days to graduation for high school, right? Can't wait. How exciting. And we get to share that as a church family. I was also reminded, wanted to share uh, before the service, I was uh, informed that Jerry Blackley, uh, Don and Jerry Blackley served here at our church with their family so faithfully back in the 80s and 90s when I was here as a student. And Jerry is undergoing surgery right now, critical surgery. And, and so we want to pause to pray. And we want to pause to pray and thank God for life and that we get to share it and that we get to take our concerns to Him each and every day. Father, for the gift of life, we give thanks. For the gift of community and of fellowship and of family, we give thanks. We give thanks that we gather here weekly to worship you, to lift our voices together, to be inspired by your spirit and by your people, to renew and to recommit our lives to you each week. And fathers, we gather, we share life with one another. We, we share the stories and celebrations of our births. We mourn the, the losses that come through death and the promise of eternal life. We, give, we celebrate. We share the good things of life like graduations and we walk with one another through the difficult times of surgeries. And so Lord, we thank you that you love us and that you're with us and that you hear our prayers and our cries. And we ask now that you come and minister to us, that you be with the Blackley family, that you minister to them as well, and that your spirit come and minister to us today. Lord, our families, we are experiencing those same kind of critical needs, whether they be spiritually or relationally, economically, emotionally. So come and be our Savior, be our physician during this time. And it's in the name of Christ we pray.
Amen. If you would, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53. We are in the midst of of the suffering servant passage. Over these last weeks, we've been looking at all of the the servant passages of Isaiah, but focusing these last weeks before Easter on Isaiah chapter 53 and the suffering servant passage. I want to begin by reading where this passage starts, the servant passage starts in in Isaiah 52 verses uh, 13 through 15. We considered those a couple of weeks ago, but just so that we can read them in context, we'll read those verses again. And then the three verses of chapter 53 that we'll focus on today, and we'll stop with that, with that text for this morning. Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted, just as many were astonished at you, my people. So his appearance was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. Thus he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him, for what had not been told them they will see, and what they had not heard they will understand. Who? Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Again, we're reminded that this passage of the suffering servant, this passage that is fulfilled in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, was written centuries before the birth of Christ. And it's written with such clarity, such prophetic honesty, that it draws our attention to this passage. In verse 1, Isaiah simply asks the question, who has believed our message? It's still the question that we must ask ourselves today. Who has believed this message? Who has believed this message of the suffering servant? Who has believed this message of Jesus the Christ? You see, unbelief is the dominant response to the message of the servant. Unbelief is the dominant response to the message of Jesus Christ. For many, considered to be an offensive message. In the Gospel of John, John writes it this way, He, Jesus, came to his own, this servant, and they did not receive him. Later in John chapter 12, verse 37 and 38, it says, Though Jesus, though this servant had performed so many signs before them, so many miracles before them, yet they were not believing in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet who spoke. And John quotes the passage we just read. Lord, who has believed our message? Even today, people struggle with the message of Jesus Christ to believe in this message. And specifically, what is this message? Well, it's the message that the Messiah, the Savior, will not come as a king, but he will come as a servant. 
that the Messiah will not be victorious in battle, but rather will suffer in death. That the Messiah will actually bear our griefs and our sorrows. That it will be His suffering that brings about our salvation. The Messiah is the one who heals us and makes us whole because He takes on our sin. For you see, His rejection means our acceptance. And the identity of this suffering servant is ultimately and finally revealed in the New Testament when Jesus the Christ, the one from Nazareth, conquers death on the third day and raises from His grave. Jesus is the one whom this message is about. And we must each ask the question, who has believed this message? Have you? Have I? Have we believed this message? Then Isaiah continues on in, in verse 2. He talks about a tender shoot. Now, I don't know what you all got to do for spring break, but I got to go home for a few days to, to my parents' place, and they live on a few acres, and, and we moved into that home when I was in the, the eighth grade. And I remember about that time, if you do the math, that would be, oh, about 40 years ago, that I went out and planted a sapling. And I was told that that sapling would grow into a peach tree one day. Well, 40 years later, this week, that sapling saw its last. I don't know that it ever had a harvest. I don't think I ever saw a peach on it. In fact, it, as it grew, it was probably ignored and neglected. It was put out on the side of the house where there wasn't a lot of water, there wasn't a lot of good soil, and it struggled with life. In fact, it looked more like a scrub bush, bush than it did a fruit tree. And over the years, what had happened is tender shoots, what, what some call sucker branches, had grown up from the ground I learned that sucker branches, that tender shoots grow from the, the base of the tree as a sign of stress, that the tree, the plant is in stress. And that's one of the responses of, of the tree. And so over 40 years, instead of blossoming into this, this wonderful fruit tree, my little sapling grew into a, a bush that really was very ugly. And over the years had begun to die. The branches were dead. Some of it was rotten. And so over this last week, we got to finish taking it down. And we had us a little campfire around the, the trunk of the tree and made s'mores. We didn't get peaches, but we got s'mores <laughs> on Friday. And it reminded me as I was preparing about a tender shoot. Tender shoots are not necessarily welcomed for the gardener, for the one who's caring for the trees. A sucker branch or a tender shoot is a useless, uncultivated, unwanted shoot near the base of the tree trunk, which takes away the moisture and the nutrients from the main plant, making it more susceptible to insects and to disease. In that part of the country, Sucker branches or tender shoots were prolific on olive trees. And olive trees are one of the primary economic resources of the day. So those who tended the olive trees were very careful and cautious to be able to, to be sure to remove any of those tender shoots that would, would come from the base of the tree that would try to rob the nutrients and make the tree more vulnerable to insect and disease. And so Jesus here is called... 
a tender shoot. Tender shoots in that culture were to be removed. They were unwanted. Jesus, the suffering servant, was perceived as a tender shoot, a root out of parched ground. You've tripped over those roots before, right? A root that, that is just there in the parched ground the desert. It just sticks up out of the ground. And you know it's there, but you always forget. And bam, you trip, you fall down. Jesus, a tender shoot, a root out of parched ground. Something that's not wanted. Something that has no purpose. Something that's to be avoided. What a, a picture that Isaiah is creating of, of this, the way this suffering servant would be perceived and received by so many people. Do you believe the message? Well, the message of the tender shoot and the parched root? But I think Isaiah would also be referring to another purpose, another picture of a tender shoot. In the book of Job, Chapter 14, there's an interesting passage that I want to share with you. It says, For there is hope for a tree, when it is cut down, that it will sprout again, and its shoots will not fail. Though its roots grow old in the ground, and its stump dies in the dry soil, at the scent of water it will flourish and put forth sprigs or shoots like a plant. Church, we must remember that the ground in Israel was parched. The line of David from whom the Messiah was to come, the line of David was gone. There was nothing left in Israel, spiritually, culturally, except a stump. The northern kingdom had vanished. The southern kingdom was in captivity in Babylon. Jerusalem lay in ruins. You see, the only hope for Israel, the only hope for a Messiah, was that a tender shoot would spring forth from the parched root that remained of Israel. Oh, you can just hear... The prayer of Isaiah. Oh, that living water would fall from heaven and a tender shoot would sprout and life would be renewed and restored in Israel. Verse 2 goes on to say that this servant, this tender shoot, would have no stately form or majesty and that his appearance would be such that it would not attract anyone. It would not attract us to Him. Do you hear that? In a world that is obsessed with the appearance of beauty, the servant offers nothing that is attractive, at least on the outside. A Messiah from Nazareth? Wasn't it Nathaniel that said, nothing good ever comes out of Nazareth? A Messiah? 
born as an illegitimate son of a carpenter? A Messiah whose fishermen included, whose followers included fishermen from Galilee? A tax collector of the Roman government? Uneducated and unrefined people? Women of questionable reputation? Well, how could anyone be attracted to this servant, to, to this Messiah, to this Jesus? You see, His appearance was such that we would not be attracted to Him. And not only will people not be attracted to this servant, the servant will be despised and rejected. And verse 3 goes on to describe this. This word despised means that, that this servant, this Messiah will be held in contempt. He will be disdained. He will be seen as vile and revolting. He will be worthy of shame and derision. This servant's life will end in sorrow, in disappointment, and ultimately in execution. He will be rejected by all kinds of men and women. By the religious and political rulers of the day. By the masses. By His own disciples. And He will even on the cross cry out that He has been forsaken by God. The servant will be despised and rejected. A man of sorrows. He will be acquainted with grief. Instead of being a conquering warrior king who comes to inflict sorrow and grief on the enemy, the suffering servant will come. And he will receive and accept sorrow and grief. He will take it upon himself when Jesus wept at Lazarus' grave, when He wept over the city of Jerusalem, He took on their suffering and their pain and their affliction. Before He raised Lazarus back to life, He grieved over His death. Before He died for the people of Jerusalem and for you and me, He took on their and He took on our suffering and His pain. And He continues to do so for us today. He takes on our griefs, our afflictions, our pain. Jesus, the Messiah, the suffering servant, understands. He understands. He knows sorrow and grief and rejection. And He knows what it means to be despised. There, in the, excuse me, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Moments before he was arrested, Jesus went to pray. And as he gathered his disciples around, he said, My soul is deeply grieved. Grieved even to the point of death. You see, the servant relates to our sorrow. The servant relates to our grief and to our pain because he has taken it upon himself. In one sense, Jesus, the Messiah, comes alongside of us. 
And He shares our grief and our sorrow with us. He, he, he partners with us in that. He experiences it with us. But on the other hand, if we'll allow Him to, instantly, or maybe even over a period of time, this suffering servant doesn't just share that pain and sorrow with us, but he begins to take it away from us. And he owns, and he bears it completely for us. If we'll allow him to come and to bring healing and renewal out of the parched ground and stumps, of our life. You experiencing that grief and that sorrow today? Is it good news to hear that not only does Jesus share this sorrow, He understands this sorrow with you, but that He is in the process of taking that away from you. And I find it interesting that because this servant takes on our pain, he takes on our sorrows, he bears our suffering. That isn't it interesting, the next verse that says, the next portion of verse 3, that he has become one from whom we hide our face. We become so offended and disturbed by the servant that we cannot look upon him. Maybe we don't look at Him because in Christ we see our sin and we see our sorrow and we see our shame because He has taken it upon Himself. He carries the weight of our sufferings, of our wickedness, of our sinfulness. And because of that, we can hardly bear to look at his face. And Isaiah continues. He says, We did not esteem him. For all of you accountants and business majors out there, that word esteem is, a, is a, an accounting term. It means to impute or to reckon. In other words, when the scripture says, We did not esteem him, it says that we did not consider, we did not assign to the servant any value at all. After all, we could never reckon that this servant could be the Messiah. The servant was just a nobody. A nothing. So we crucified Him. We put Him to death. We, we executed Him because we did not esteem Him. We did not put value upon Him. Can you relate to this suffering servant? Do you know what it means to be despised and rejected? Maybe you've grown up feeling despised because of where you came from. Born on the other side of the tracks, the wrong side of the river. Maybe you were despised because of your past. Some mistakes you made growing up and 
and, and people have not been gracious and forgiving and, and, and you've been despised for those decisions. Maybe you've been despised because of family decisions, the decisions of your parents. Maybe you've been despised and rejected because of the color of your skin. Because you're a male. Because you're a female. What about rejection? Have you been rejected? Rejected by a spouse? Rejected by your parents? Oh, how so many adults crave to just hear one of two phrases from a mom or a dad. I, I love you. I'm proud of you. I bless you. And they never hear that because in their heart of hearts, they know, they feel, they believe they've been rejected by their parents. They, they were a mistake, an accident. Have you been rejected by friends, by a boss? Do you know what it means to be despised and rejected? Do you know what it means to be a man or a woman of sorrow, of grief? Do you know sadness, depression? Do you know sickness? Do you know death? Is your life filled with sufferings and, and with pain? Are you just not able to get beyond the abuses and the, the victimizations of the past and even of the present? The sorrow and grief seem to follow you everywhere. And when you get away from it, it just seems like it's waiting for you when you turn the next corner. Do men and women hide their face from you? Well, maybe they just whisper when you walk by. Maybe they never return your phone call or your text or your email. You feel like you're contagious and nobody wants to be around you. In fact, they don't even want to be around you so much that when you get close, they run away and hide. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do, do you know what it means when men and women hide their face from you? Do you know what it means to be a, a man or a woman of sorrows and griefs? Do you, you know what it means to be despised and rejected? The suffering servant does. Jesus, the Christ, He knows. The question that we have to answer now is, if this is you, if you can relate in any way to this, what can you do about it? Where can you turn? Where did the servant turn? How did, how did Jesus survive? If you would, turn with me to Psalm 22. Psalm 22. Verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the psalm that Jesus reflects on. He cries out from the cross. Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, and I have no rest. 
I'm forsaken, I'm rejected, I'm despised. Verse 6, but I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. They separate with the lip. They wag the head saying, here we go, here's where I want us to focus. Commit yourself to the Lord. Let Him deliver Him. Another way to translate that, verse 8, is that He committed Himself to the Lord. Forsaken. Forsaken even by God, Jesus felt. And what did He do? Did He shake His fist at God and say, why did you leave me? No, He was quoting, He was reflecting. I believe He was meditating on this passage. And the Scripture says, and He committed Himself to the Lord to let Him deliver Him. Now the context is, is people are making fun of Him here. They're, they're ridiculing here him here oh he's being forsaken he's being rejected and oh look at him he's he's still believing in the lord he's committed himself to the lord what a great response what a great opportunity we have and let's look up back up in verse three and four and five about why is jesus able to commit himself to the lord even though he feels forsaken and rejected verse three yet you are holy O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel, in you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were delivered. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. Jesus, in the midst of his forsakenness, in the midst of his rejection, in the midst of being despised, knew that he could commit himself to the Lord and he could trust the Lord to get him through. Because God is faithful. God is trustworthy. He is loyal. And just as God had acted in the past to redeem and save His people, Jesus understood and knew that His Father would redeem and save and restore and renew Him. So this suffering servant committed himself to the Lord. What about us? I loved Ashley's song that she sang today. When you don't give the answers, Lord, I will still, I will trust in you. When, when we pray and we feel like God's not answering and, and we feel like God's rejected or forsaken us, what, what do we do? Well, we continue to trust. We continue to obey. We continue to follow because God is trustworthy. So Isaiah's question still rings in our ears. Who has believed our message? This message of eternal life and salvation. This message of hope and of healing. Who has believed? Who is believing? Maybe in your life, you feel like you've been cut back to just a stump and that only roots remain. The message today of the suffering servant is the possibility and the hope that a tender shoot, the tender shoot, will spring up from the parched and the despised and the rejected areas of your life 
When we are rejected, we must look to the suffering servant and draw inspiration from him, committing ourselves to him and trusting in him to deliver and to save us. Oh, there are so many of us that desperately need that tender shoot to sprout forth from our lives. If you will trust, if you will believe, if you will receive this message and this Christ, He can begin this work of new life in you. Have you believed in this servant yet? If not, why not believe today? Why not trust today? For you see a tender shoot of new life of life eternal is waiting to sprout to sprout from the parched root and stump of your life let's pray